Good morning and welcome again. My name is Craig. I'm the senior pastor here and it is our privilege to have you with us this morning. Thank you so much for taking your time to be with us. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in the book of Matthew chapter 6. If you don't have your Bible and you have your phone, we're going to be in the book of Matthew chapter 6. If you want to look at it and you're not sure how to find it, you can actually just Google it. If you put in Matthew chapter 6, it'll just pop right up. Uh, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, so if you really want it all, you can Google Matthew 6 ESV and you'll be right along. Matthew chapter 6. As you're turning there, where is your treasure? You ever thought about that? I gave you guys a warning last week that I was going to be preaching on money, uh, and I wouldn't remind you all what I said. Usually when I preach on money, y'all, people refuse to tithe, and I look really bad, so please don't do that to me again today. But um, we're talking about money, uh, and, and this can be a difficult topic, just to be totally honest. It's, it gets real close to our hearts. That's why it's such a difficult topic, if you want the truth of the matter. It's difficult because when I stand up and I talk about money, I know that I'm talking about those things that hit real close. But there's a reason that we have to talk about it. It's because Jesus talked about money. It's, it's not true to say that money was the, most, the, 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 the thing that Jesus spoke about the most, but Jesus certainly didn't shy away from talking about money. And one of the reasons for that was because uh, Jesus knew what we also know as well, that, that money really gets at the, the root of our heart issues so often. Uh, our, our money, our possessions, our things create uh, d- divided loyalties in our lives. And so this morning we're going to be talking through some of those things. We're in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. If you have your... Uh, oh, I've already asked you to turn there. Sorry, I'm, Adam, whatever you had is catching. Adam, everybody's messed up. Kevin messed it up to start with. So Matthew chapter 6... But Buster didn't. That, we appreciate him being the stalwart wherever he is. Matthew chapter 6. Stand with me in honor of God's word. Beginning in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray you give us understanding. Father God, help us to cling to your word, to trust in your word, Lord God. I pray that you'd help us to all to sort of resist the temptation that our flesh uh, gives us that rises up in these moments, Father, to, uh, to want to believe in our own ways rather than yours. God, give us understanding in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. How many of you know the feeling of wanting something really bad and then getting that thing and then discovering that it wasn't everything you'd hoped for, right? Or, or, or even worse, you, 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 you know the, 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 the desire of wanting something? The internet's been great because it shows us how wonderful things are. And then you get them and it's like, oh, well, maybe that wasn't everything. We, we have this happen, not so much as the kids get older, but especially with younger kids, every year around Christmas time, right? There's that one thing that they just want so bad. And as a parent, you're, you're working diligently to convince them it's really not as, as good as they think it is, but they just want it so bad and they get it and, and they're sort of disappointed. Well, as adults, we're not that much better. We don't usually acknowledge our disappointment. 
Instead, what, what usually happens is something more along the lines, we get what we want, and we're so excited about it, but the new wears off of it, and, you know, two days, two weeks, two months, two years later, we're just, we're just longing for the next new thing. We're wanting that other thing. It doesn't bring us the joy, and so we're hoping that we get that next hit, that next dopamine hit out of purchasing that next thing that helps us to get where we want. Preaching about money can be awkward, kind of like that, um, because the reality is all of us know what it's like to want more and to believe somewhere there's a part of us that believes that if I can just do a little bit more and reach out and have a few more things, then I can finally get the joy that I want. And so when we preach about, about money or possessions, the truth of the matter is we're preaching about one of those things that becomes a competing idol in our lives. Now, I want to be honest. When I speak about money, we're talking about really and truly more than anything else the dangers of idolatry in our lives. I also want to be clear, because some of you, look, some of y'all haven't been around that long. If, if one of y'all decides that, that you're going to make a, a big gift to our church, I preach about money, I'm not getting a raise from this. All right? I just want to be honest. Like I don't preach about money because if we just get more people to put more money in the offering plate, my life's going to be a little bit better. Um, that's not going to happen. So all that out of the way, let's just jump right to the point. Look, if some of you get upset about money, and I've seen it, right? let me tell you the truth then you need to listen to this sermon. Because if a conversation about money just really just frustrates and bothers you, perhaps that's because it's got a grip on your heart. And as a result, you need to pay attention to what Jesus has to say. But, but you know what? Some of you showed up here today and said, you know what? He's here to talk about money. Great. I didn't come to hear a sermon about money. I really just wish I could find joy in my life. I feel lost and aimless without hope. And this guy's up here to talk about money. I got good news for you this morning, folks. We're going to get to that point. I want you to hang on with me. Because some of you know what it's like to have looked for joy and satisfaction in possessions, in money, in bank accounts. Some of you know what it's like to have looked for it in relationships and money or success. Some of you have known what it was like to look for joy and satisfaction in, in drugs and, 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 and chemical assistance and all these other things. And it never offers to you the lasting joy that you hope for. There's always a need, a desire in your heart for more, more, more. And in many ways, Jesus' words today address those issues as much as he addresses issues related to our finances. So this morning, there's three big things I want to get you to pay attention to out of this text. The first thing when we think about where your treasure is, I want you to look beyond this world. I want you to be willing to raise your eyes just a little bit and see past the moment in which you are living. Maybe, maybe, or excuse me, not maybe, but Jesus gives this negative comment. And what Jesus says is, do not, do not lay up for yourselves treasures in this world where moth and rust destroy, right? But there's a, a positive spin on that. If I'm not going to lay up for myself negative treasures in this world, if I'm not going to do this in this world, then part of what I need to be focused on is not this world, but on the world that is to come. To look beyond the moment in which I live. To look past the horizon. To look, to lift your eyes to the hills. I, I like to watch movies. Uh, I, we all kind of have a, I shouldn't say all, but right now, like the superhero movies are a big thing. And even if you don't like superhero movies, maybe you like something else. We all want some kind of a hero, right? Everybody's looking for one. You might not be like a Superman or an Iron Man guy. You might be 
more like a military movie, but there's always looking for the hero, for the cavalry to ride. And some of you ladies are into these romantic comedy things, and you're just looking for Prince Charming to ride in on his horse or whatever. There's always within us a longing for somebody to come in and save the day. Part of that is because we recognize that in this world, I can't get what I need. I'm looking past it. I'm looking for something else to come in and resolve my problems. We've got to lift our eyes beyond our circumstances and our situations and look to the world to come. More of this world is not always better. More of this world is not always better. Uh, in, in economics, we speak of the law of diminishing returns. And law of diminishing returns says that adding more input will only provide a positive benefit to a certain point. Then additional input, input will begin to have a negative effect. You know what that means? That means more is not always better. Right? At some point, more of a thing doesn't necessarily make your life any better. Y'all know what this is like experientially. Two cups of coffee is great. Six cups of coffee is a little much for some of y'all. For the rest of us, it's just about right. You know what I mean? I mean, you, you know, we, we, we know what this is like. You, you know what it's like. You, you know what it's like with clothes. Some of you, I'm not looking at you ladies. I'm just thinking about you. Right? But... You've got, oh, I needed that jacket and that jacket and that jacket and that shirt and that shirt. And it's all great up to a point until you walk into your closet and it's so cluttered and you can't find anything. At some point you realize you have too many shirts, too many pants. But you can never have too many vests. I would like to point that out. <laughs> Technology can become a burden more than a blessing, can it? Right? Isn't, that, isn't that a thing? I was, was at lunch with uh, somebody this week and... Um, and we were talking about technology and about my watch and about how wonderful it is when this thing keeps up with how many miles I ran or, or uh, last summer I was glad to be wearing it because I was trying out this uh, new idea of running when it was 99 degrees with a, a, a weighted backpack on um, because some people in the church challenged me to it and I, I accepted that challenge and um, it seemed like a really good idea and I checked my heart rate as I was approaching mile two. Did I mention it was 99 degrees? I was carrying 30 pounds on my back and when I checked my heart rate, it was 189. For those of you who don't know, that's way too high for a man of my age and weight and all the other things, right? I was, I was really grateful in that moment to go, oh, we're approaching heart attack. Let's back off. Let's go for a walk, okay? So that's good, but you know where this thing is bad? Our technology is bad when it dings all the time and distracts us from the conversations that we want to have or the life that we need. Or some of you that leave your phone laying beside your bed and it wakes you up in the middle of the night because you got a text message. Bad idea. Just side note. We'll just tuck that one away. If you want to talk about it later, we will. Too much technology can actually be a bad thing. Too much of this world is not always good for us. And we continue to believe if I get just a little bit more, it'll get a little bit better. But it's kind of like banana pudding. You never get the last bite and you're finally satisfied, do you? If you don't like banana pudding, maybe it's some other sweet. Maybe it's ice cream or whatever it might be. We always think if I just get this one bite... This one will finally satisfy me, but it doesn't. You're not actually satisfied until you just can't stuff any more in your face or until the, the bowl is actually empty. Nobody quits eating their favorite dessert because they got tired of eating their favorite dessert or they were finally satisfied. You quit eating your favorite dessert because something inside of you says, if I continue to do this, it's going to be bad. There's a law of diminishing returns. More of it's not going to always be better. And the same thing's true in our world. Sin's good for a season. The Bible teaches us that, right? Even sin is good for a season. And even good things can become God things if we're not careful. We've got to be aware that everything in our life needs to be handled in moderation. 
So when we're thinking about what it looks like to look beyond this world, part of looking beyond this world is to understand that there is more than this world has to offer because we were made for more than this world has to offer. I don't really have to tell you that, though, do I? You know that you're made for more than this world. And I don't mean like, oh, look at me. I'm made for more. I'm so special. You know that you're made for more than this world has to offer because when you hurt, you know how bad it hurts and there's something inside of you that says it shouldn't be this way. Right? You, there is. You know when, when death occurs, there's something inside of you that screams, this is not normal. When there's pain and there's, there's, there's heartache, when the diagnosis from the doctor is not what you had hoped for, there's something in us that screams, this is not right. Folks, I, I want you to know that it's not right. The Bible says that we were created not to experience all these terrible things. We were created instead in this good, great experience of, of enjoying God in perfect relationship with Him. Sin messed all of that up. Part of the reason that we got to look beyond the horizon is because we weren't actually created to live in this sin-scarred, sin-stained, broken world. We gotta look past it. This Wednesday, I'll be is it this Wednesday? You think? Yeah, this Wednesday, community wide worships. So our teenagers are doing their thing. I'm preaching. <laughs> Sorry guys, we couldn't find anybody else. Um, but uh, but I'm preaching from Psalm 121. Psalm 121 says, I look, I lift my eyes into the hills, from where does my help come? I do this a lot in in, in funerals. I, I I read this passage of scripture as we stand beside a graveside. Now, I won't give the whole sermon away for Wednesday, but this is a psalm of ascents. That means that it was, it was sung by God's people, Israel, as they ascended the hill in Jerusalem toward the temple. As they walked towards worship, they would sing this. I lift my eyes into the hills, and the next part says, From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Y'all, part of our hope is found when we can get our, our, our gaze tilted just a little bit beyond the horizon to see that there's something more than this broken world has to offer. There is a God who stands above it, who created it, and has a plan for our lives. Jesus says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. And y'all are worried that I'm going to come in here and yell at y'all about giving more money to the church. And here's what I want you to understand the primary purpose in this conversation from Jesus is not about you giving more money to the church. The primary purpose in this message is about you giving more of yourself to Christ and experiencing the joy and the fullness that He promises. Because in John 10, what did He say? He said, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. The thief comes on to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly, have it to the full. These are Jesus' desires for you that you would experience fullness and joy and wholeness in life. But for us to get there, we've got to look beyond the world. That's the first thing. The second thing, we've got to invest in the future. Maybe you're saving for retirement. I hope you are. Okay? hope you are and you're preparing for the future. But if we aren't careful, we can be so committed to the here and now. And when I say the here and now, I mean to experiencing life in the here and now that we actually neglect to invest in the future. I can be so committed to what I'm going to possess or own or have right now today to impress the people around me or to try and bring joy in my life that I'll sacrifice my future on the altar of the present. Which brings me to a really good question for you guys. Do you own your things or do your things own you? See, when we think about 
money, material, possessions. And we think about God in, in eternity in light of all these things. Randy Alcorn wrote a, b- a really good book about this, by the way. I think it's called God, Money, and Possessions or something like that. Um, but when we think about our, our, our lives in, in, in this framework, and we think about investing in the future, we want to ask the question, do I own my things or do my things own me? See, part of the reason that we can't give our lives fully to Christ and experience the full joy that he offers to us when we're so committed to our materialism and committed to the world around us is not because we own things, but because the things own us. See, our, our loyalties get, get divided. We, we can all reach a place in life where our stuff controls what we do. I love to fish, like a lot. In the cold, in the hot, I don't care. I just enjoy it. I, but I don't own a boat. Angela won't let me have one. That's a lie. That's a lie. I should clarify. That is not true. I don't own a boat because at this stage of my life, if I owned a boat, I wouldn't own a boat. That boat would own me. That's just the reality. And this is why. We're just so busy chasing kids all the places. There's sports. There's, there's all the other stuff. There's not really the free time in my life Craig's life to, to, to properly enjoy that possession. Boats are not sinful. I'm not saying that, okay? I'm, I'm not. If you have one, just drop it off by my house and I'll make sure and consecrate it. Um, so, so for me, if I had that, it would own me. And this is why, because every time I looked out my kitchen window, I would see it parked. And I'd see it parked collecting pine needles and leaves. And I would feel compelled every time I saw it to go out there and to clean it. Or to go and take it, to run it, to, to go fishing. And, and I would be robbing from other things in my life to go and utilize that thing, okay? That, and so in that particular case, that thing would own me. But it doesn't have to be something as big as a boat. Sometimes it can be the accumulation of small things that begin to own us, can't it? So you own a house, and that's a great thing. You know what you have to do when you own one? You have to paint it. And you have to cut the grass and you have to clean the floors. And so some of you are like, well, if I can just get a bigger house and everything will be better, be careful. The bigger the house gets, the greater the responsibilities become. That thing can begin to control everything that you do. And sometimes it can even be the smaller things, right? We, we go back to the technology thing. Go ahead and make a great decision to get yourself into about 14 different commitment plans in your phones and your devices and everything else and see exactly what happens. Those things own you. And those contracts, you can't hardly get out of them for anything. You can't afford to get out of the contract. So what are you doing? You're spending your whole life paying off the debt that you've accrued because your possessions own you rather than you owning them and using them for God's glory. But y'all, it's, it's not just these, these things, right? Investing in my future means not only caring for my money, but for all of my resources, for my time and my talents and my treasures. See, money's not the only thing that God's given us that should be faithfully stewarded. It's not the only resource that we have. Investing in the future for my kids means working to make sure they don't have to be financially responsible for me in my old age. That's important to me. I want to make sure that they have enough money to put me in a nursing home and forget about me if they, if they want to. I hope they don't. But, but it also means investing my time in them today, my talents in them today. Or in other things that will matter for eternity. Now this does of course matter for our money, right? When you think about the church, if the church is the vehicle that God has created, and it is, Jesus said, you are Peter and upon this rock I'll build my church. If the church is the vehicle that Christ has created and commissioned to carry out the great commission, in other words, to carry the gospel to the uttermost parts of the world, then the church is a vehicle for eternal investments. 
And the church should be a place where you're investing some of your time and your talents and your treasures. And some of you aren't tithing or you're not volunteering or you're not serving in your church because you've convinced yourself that you'll do it later. Well, when I get a little bit more financially solvent, when, when I get a little more, more committed, when I get a little more disciple, when I know a little bit more, then I'm going to do a little bit more. Look, I'm going to give you something. If, if you're not doing it now, then next year when you grow a little, you probably won't. And if you're not committed to doing it tomorrow, then this summer you probably won't. Some of you are going, well, this summer I'll start spending more time with my kids. If you're putting it off for six months, you're probably not going to do it then either. And this is why. It's because we have a tendency to believe that our investments, excuse me, that, our, that our, our heart will lead us to do the right thing, right? But here's the truth. Our heart will actually follow our investments. Your heart will follow your investments. Let me explain what I mean. When you begin to invest your time into a thing, a church as a for instance, you'll discover that your heart is more inclined toward that church and toward the mission of that church. When you begin to invest your money into a, a church or an organization, you'll begin to discover that your heart is more inclined to honor and to support that organization. And watch, when you begin to invest your time and your talents and treasures in the things that God has told you to, then watch this, your heart will be more inclined toward the things of the Lord. If you're waiting for you to feel godly enough or good enough or committed enough to Jesus to take that next step in volunteering in your local church or in tithing, or, or in using the, 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 the physical resources that God's given you to impact somebody else's life, you're waiting for your heart to kind of feel good enough to get you there, you'll be waiting forever. Because often, really often, like most of the time, your heart is going to actually follow your actions. Your obedience in action is going to lead to a more committed and changed heart. You say, Craig, I don't know exactly how it is that I'm going to get there. Let me, just, let me just encourage you. Just begin now and watch how God changes your heart. He's going to use that. See, I actually know what you're committed to if you'll just let me see your checkbook. I know. Some of y'all don't even know what that means. If you let me see your bank statement. I know. Because if you committed $10,000 last year to those fancy frou-frou drinks from Starbucks, I know where your heart is, Okay. And your waistline. Okay? We need to talk. It's not good. It's pre-diabetic. You don't need to do that. But I, I do. Like, I, I, I know that. If, 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 you've, if, if, you're, if your bank account shows me that you're subscribed to like 15 different streaming services in your home, I know that for you, sitting around watching TV is like a big deal. It's important. That's where your commitment levels are. If I see that you're spending all of your volunteer hours at the, the Humane Society, I know where your heart is. Jesus didn't say, when you get your heart there, your treasure will follow. Watch, this isn't me making things up, by the way. He said, where your heart is, there your treasure will be. Let's keep going. Let's look. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves not. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. See, I said it backwards. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. In other words, the place where you invest yourself is the place where your heart will be most committed. 
So what's that look like for us? It looks like first committing ourselves to Christ, investing in his plan for our lives. And then once we've done that, then, then how do we begin to work this out? If you're a married person with children, well, if you're married, then, then your second place is to your spouse. You got children, your third place is investing your time with your children. So your wife and your family, your husband and your family. And then everything else begins to shake out after that. But we've got to invest. And when we invest, our heart's going to follow. So this morning, we're going to look beyond this world, invest in the future. And then third, this morning, be singularly focused. In another place, Jesus is going to be accused. He, he casts out uh, some demons and somebody says, oh, you only do that because you're possessed by the devil. And Jesus says, if I was possessed by the devil, I wouldn't be doing that. And he says this, he says, a house divided against itself cannot stand. A house divided against itself cannot stand. We've got to be singularly focused. Where's your focus? Where's your focus? Are you committed to Christ? I meet a lot of people that are, that are looking for Jesus to fix, fix like, their life. They're looking for joy. They're looking for satisfaction. But I, I, are you willing to be committed to Christ? Like singularly focused. Now this is where it gets a little bit awkward. Because some of you sit there and you immediately start coming up with all the excuses for why you can't be singularly focused. And you're doing that wearing one of the 14 shirts you have to support your favorite football team. See what I did there? Right? You, you say you can't be singularly focused, but nobody had better actually get in your way when your team is on television because you found a way to be singularly focused there. You've actually found a way to organize your life around the time that you're going to spend committed to watching a football team or a baseball team or a particular television show. Some of you have found ways to organize your entire budget around planning for a particular vacation to a particular place at a particular time every single year because you're singularly focused on getting there. And somehow or other, when I suggest us being singularly focused on Christ, we begin to make all these excuses in our lives why we can't be. This is why Jesus speaks about money in this passage. Because our money, our possessions tend to be our strongest temptation against single focused, single hearted commitment to Jesus Christ. And this is hard. It's hard. And it's hard to hear. Because for us to be singularly focused on Jesus is to look very different from the world around us. Singularly focused on Christ doesn't make any sense. So let's just talk about money for a minute. Do you know what makes zero sense to anybody that's outside of a committed relationship with Jesus Christ and local church? Tithing. It makes absolutely no sense. So, so, so you're telling me that you would take 10% of your income and you would commit 10% of that income to your local church. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's what we do. That's what we do. That's what I do. 
And just so that I don't mess it up, like I automate it online, so it just automatically drafts. Otherwise, I would mess up the math, or I would forget because I'm just like that, and I wouldn't do it. And to somebody that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, they're like, wait a minute. That's like, Craig, that's the boat payment that you said you couldn't afford. Yeah, and then some. That'd be a nice boat. Angela never let me have one of those boats. That's the truth. I'll be honest with you. Never getting that. And that's a truck payment, or that's this, or that's that. What could you do with it? And here's the truth. In this world, I could do a lot. But Jesus says that we're to focus on eternity, to lift our eyes beyond this world, to look and make investments in things that will not corrode or rust or be eaten. And so when we talk about having this singular focus on Jesus, just understand when Christ calls us to follow him, he calls us to forsake everything else and to commit our lives to him. And you say, Craig, that can't actually work. You just started this off by promising me that we could find joy and satisfaction. And in the middle of this sermon, you're like, oh, by the way, take about, I don't know, 30% of the things that bring you joy and satisfaction and get rid of them. You know what, Craig, the greatest, what, what, what I'm saying is the greatest way for you to find joy and satisfaction is to give away 10% of your income and give away 10% of your time and give away 10 or 20% of your talents and just invest them somewhere else. And you go, well, I want to be, I'm, I'm interested in self-care. How's that going to fix anything? Watch, you ready? A properly ordered life brings joy. Jesus said in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. You just can't do it. There's going to come a point in time in our lives where we have to decide whether or not my focus is with the Lord or with me. And when that happens, it looks like one of those cartoons. Y'all remember those? Do they still? I miss good cartoons. They're all trash now, I think. Is that just because I'm getting old? I don't know. Y'all remember when you have the little angel and the little devil pop up on your shoulder and tell you what to do? Y'all remember that? Some of y'all thought I was flexing. I'm not. I'm just showing you where the little angel and the devil live, right up here. Y'all remember those? If you're too young to remember that, come see me afterward, okay? We're going to go. We'll throw it on the big screen. We'll have a good cartoon fest. But, so you remember that, and, and you had that one, and, and so you'd have the little angel telling them to do the right things, like Tom and Jerry, and then you'd have the little devil guy telling them to do the wrong thing. Well, that's not exactly the way the world works. But that can be kind of the way it feels in our lives when we, when we decide, we make a decision that we're, going to commit to doing, that we're going to commit to living our life according to Christ. Because there's something, it's actually our flesh, it's our sin nature that screams, wait a minute. If you want to find joy in this life, you're not going to find it by investing in somebody else and giving things away and giving part of your money away. No, no, no. If you're going to find joy, you're going to find joy in taking care of you. And then there's Jesus. You can't serve both. One of the greatest sins that we find ourselves in, y'all wondering how this is going to tie in, hold on, in reading Scripture is to read it out of context. I want to do something this morning. I want us to continue reading Matthew chapter 6 because some of y'all stopped. Verse 25. So he says, don't, don't worry about the money. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Verse 24. You can't serve two masters. And then he gets to verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Whoa. Mind blown. We're not done. 
What you eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you put on is not life more than food, the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Ready? Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Ready? But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What's the big takeaway from this sermon as we wrestle with the question of where is your treasure? A properly ordered life brings joy. But a properly ordered life is a life that puts Christ first. Lives your life according to Christ's expectations and His commandments and His examples. And then trusts that in the process, everything else is going to work itself out. You say, but Craig, I don't know if I can do that. That's the great thing. And you begin to trust. The trust is not in your ability to accomplish anything. Trust is instead... In Christ's willingness to fill up all the holes in your life. So where's your treasure? Where's your treasure? If you came here looking for hope this morning, let me just encourage you. By the way, the kids are going to start coming in. Y'all just ignore them. It's okay. They're fine. We're going to be doing the Lord's Supper in just a minute. I'll explain all that and they're going to participate with us. See, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do do you want anxiety and struggle and pain in your life? Then invest in the things that create anxiety and struggle and pain. Do do, do you want anxiety and, 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 and regret? Then live in the past. Hold on to those things. But if you want hope and joy, let me encourage you this morning. Cling to Jesus Christ. Begin to invest your life in Him. And watch how He helps the cares and the concerns of the world melt away. Where's your treasure? There's a treasure right there. See, the the awesome thing is that when we think about what Jesus expects of us, he expects actually far less of us than he was willing to give for himself. When we ask where Jesus' treasure was, he showed us with his life. This morning, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper. And before our deacons come, come, I want to explain a little bit about what's going to happen. The first thing, what, what is the Lord's Supper? The Lord's Supper is a, is a memorial meal, okay? There's nothing magical that's going to happen here today. But it's, it's a reminder for us. It's a, 
it's a, um, an object lesson of what Jesus did for us. He died. That's what the Bible teaches, that Jesus lived. He actually lived. He died on a cross, and he rose from the grave. And on the night before Jesus died, he sat with his disciples, and he had this memorial meal with them, and, and he said, y'all do this in the future. That's what he would have said if it had been in South Carolina, right? But actually what he says, this do in remembrance of me. He says, as you, as you reflect upon who I am, do this. And so when we think about where your treasure is, let me just tell you where Jesus' treasure was. It was wrapped up in two things. Number one, to glorify and honor his Father in heaven. And number two, to bring lost humanity into a relationship with a God who loved them in spite of their sin. See, when Jesus said to us to look beyond the horizon, his eyes were already focused beyond it. Because Jesus knew that this world was broken and messed up. And his desire was to bring healing to hurting people. And so he died. That's right. What was his greatest gift? His very life that he invested. He gave it away so that you and I might experience eternal life. Forgiveness for our sins. You see, when I ask you where your treasure is, it can seem a little imposing to consider that Jesus would expect so much of you until you learn that Jesus gave everything for you. And so this morning, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper. Uh, some of our deacons are going to come. You guys can come on, and they're going to help to, to pass this out. Let me explain what's going to happen this morning. Uh, <clears throat> some of you, this is new. That's okay. Um, first of all, the Lord's Supper is, is reserved for Christians. If you are not a follower of Jesus, we're not mad at you. We're thrilled to death that you're here today. Um, but I would ask you not to take the Lord's Supper. Um, instead, what I would ask you to do is to consider how it is that you may take Christ as your Lord and Savior. I, I, I would ask you to, to reflect upon this time and to view it for what it is. A picture of Jesus' body broken and his blood shed so that we may have life forever. So if you're not a believer in Christ, if you're not a Christian, I would ask you not to take the Lord's Supper. Instead, today, I urge you to take Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you are, we invite you to take the Lord's Supper with us this morning. I'm going to read to you. The Apostle Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 what we believe to be the oldest reflection upon Jesus' words. And he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took the bread. So this morning, the bread will be passed around, little crackers in these trays. And the Bible says that he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. And so this morning, what's going to happen is our deacons are going to take, and they're going to pass this around to you all. I'd ask you just to hold on to it. Um, once everybody's got it and they come back forward, I'm going to pray over this, and we're going to thank Jesus for his broken body, and then we will take the, the bread together. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for the broken body of Jesus. Thank you that he would be willing to die that we might live. 
Please bless this memory for us. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible says, this is my, or Jesus said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper. The Bible says in the same way, so we're going to pray. Father God, thank you for the shed blood of Jesus. It brings about the forgiveness of sins in Christ's name. Amen. Jesus was going to say, this, is the cup, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Thank you. The Bible says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We're going to sing in just a minute. I'm almost finished. But as I stood behind that table and looked out at all of you, it occurred to me that some of you showed up here today looking for hope. Some of you wandered into a church and, and, and you got a, a, a message about giving and about all the things you should do. And I was reminded as I stood there today that your hope isn't wrapped up in anything that you'll ever do. Some of you wandered in here going, great. All I need to do is leave here and give some money and some time and everything's going to get better. And folks, I want you to know that if that's what you took away, then we've missed the gospel. That the joy that he's going to play about and that we're going to sing about in just a minute is not about what you or I could do. It's all about what Christ has done on our behalf. So it doesn't really matter why you're here or how you arrived. It doesn't really matter how you feel about anything that I've said so far this morning. Here's all that matters. Sinful, broken, hurt, ashamed. However you walked in the door today, Jesus died to set you free. Jesus died to give you life and hope and joy everlasting. And so if you came here today because today was the last hope, the final thread, if today was the, you just had said, if this doesn't work, nothing else will. And here's what I want you to know. At the end of your rope is exactly where Jesus will find you. There is hope to be found there. And if the message that I preach just weighed you down, then listen to me. Jesus didn't come to weigh you down. He came to lift you up. And if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, the reason that we observe this memorial meal is as a reminder that we are all sinful and broken, every one of us. When you walked in the door today, if you felt like you stood out, you don't because we are a messed up group of folks. You understand? We have all done all kind of things that we wish we hadn't, and yet Jesus died for us anyway. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. That's what the Bible teaches, and we know it's true. But the free gift of God is this, that Jesus Christ died so that we may have life instead of death. And so if you're here today, and you watch this weird memorial meal, and you don't even know what any of it means, and you're like, I'm not sure why I showed up, then let me tell you why you're here. You ready? You're here because God loves you and has a plan and a desire. And he has waited to show you mercy. And it doesn't matter what you've done. Isaiah teaches us that he has waited for the opportunity to show you mercy, to save you and to deliver you. And so today as we stand and sing, if nothing else has made sense today, then I hope and pray that this has made sense. And when we stand and pray, I'm going to stand down front and I would invite you to come. I would love to pray with you. To show you what it means, to tell you what it means to have a vibrant, living relationship with Jesus. That your anxiety, your sin, your pain, and your shame could be taken away because Jesus died to set you free. So would you stand with us this morning? And I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing. Believers in Jesus, sing aloud this morning as we celebrate our freedom. But if you don't know Christ today, please don't leave here today without asking somebody how you might be made right. Oh God, we love you and praise you and thank you for loving us.
Father, I pray that you would move even now as we sing. In Jesus' name, amen.